All right, as we come to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, last chapter in this letter, we think back to chapter 2 last week where the Apostle Paul was talking about hot topics, the Antichrist and the future deception in the world. And he ended chapter 2 with this prayer, first, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. And so we said last week that the, the word and the work go hand in hand and that's what he's going to take us into as we go into chapter 3 as he brings the teaching of, of the last days of from chapter 2 into how we're to, to think about it here in chapter 3, and he connects it to the idea of that we are established in every good word and work. So it's great to study eschatology, which we call the study of the last things, but the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to all make an application. There's lots of disagreements on timing of eschatology, but the Lord wants us to make an application for where we are today. How do we do that? By studying the Word of God, by seeing God's faithfulness, and walking in the truth of the Word of God. In other words, I would say, and I'll get a lot of objections uh, on this from a lot of different people, that it's the duty of the church and its members to study the Word of God, to spread the Word of God, and to obey the word of God. And it's easy to miss that the word of the Lord and the Lord of the word is honored when it is spread to the world and when it is obeyed by the people in the church. Sometimes we get all hyped up about the way people outside the church are living. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we're really glad that you're here. Get to hear some inside stuff that goes on, uh, the Apostle Paul telling the Thessalonians uh, at the end of this letter here in the city of Thessalonica. But it, it sometimes uh, we get so hyped up about the people in the world and what they're doing, and, they're, and you know people who are not followers of Jesus living like they're not followers of Jesus. I don't know why we're surprised at that. What we should be surprised at is when followers of Jesus are not living like they are followers of Jesus, particularly when we are not living like followers of Jesus. And when we talk about spreading the gospel, the good news to the world, and obeying it in the church... I think it's fair that you can't have one without the other. And uh, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, but certainly, uh, not, and not sinless, but sinning less. And we have to be realistic. These things, taking the good news of Jesus Christ to the world and our obeying the word of God, studying the word of God, are going to take time and are labor intensive. So he will begin this chapter today with more prayer. He's constantly praying and first, he's going to pray for himself and his team. Uh, Silas is with him and Timothy is with him. Then for the Thessalonians and then for the gospel work to go forward in the Roman Empire. But as we are going to see, what he's also doing is he is preparing them for what I would call the most direct and confrontational words in the letter of First and Second Thessalonians. And we'll notice that he uses a word that most Americans just cannot stand over and over again, and it is the word command. Americans hate that word. Jesus doesn't. Do we hear that? Americans hate that word. Jesus doesn't. 
And the Apostle Paul is going to model for us spiritual confrontation over sin with the authority of the Word of God done in love, which might not seem to the people who are sinning that it's done in love. A lot of times you can be very, very loving to people, and then you, you explain to them about how they're living incorrectly. They're, they claim to be followers of Jesus. They're not living, following the word of the Lord, and you try to be loving to them and kind to them, and quite honestly, they just do not want to hear it, and that's kind of the way it goes sometimes. Now, um, this, this comes with when the Apostle Paul is, is talking about obedience. This comes with the, with the expectation that we will obey and to be more precise, God desires that our, our aim is total obedience, although we won't achieve it, to the word of the Lord. So in order to be what we might call a faithful and responsible Christian, we have to accept two words tonight. If you want that, you're going to have to accept two words in this chapter, uh, the word command and the word obey. No way around those two. No way around those two. Some of you don't look too happy about it. All right, let's jump in. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, we might say, uh, you know, of course, I always joke, what does it mean when a preacher says finally? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> finally, brethren, so after what we just said in chapter 2, and as we move forward, pray for us. One thing I love about the Apostle Paul is he's never afraid or never too proud to ask for prayer. He's constantly asking that people would pray for him. And I love his prayer request. It's just this great picture, visual we get. He says, pray that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. He wants the word of the Lord to spread swiftly throughout the Roman Empire and be glorified just as it is with you. A better translation might be just as it was with you and continues to be with you. Verse 2 and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Presumably talking about maybe people who have infiltrated the church. He's in Corinth. They've infiltrated the church. Not all have faith. Probably saying not all who claim to be followers of Jesus, not even all of the teachers who claim to follow Jesus and teach the word of the Lord have faith or, or have salvation. So his prayer is very, very simple. Sometimes we overcomplicate this stuff. It's very, very simple. He prays that the word of the Lord would move forward. That means that, that it would go out, that, that people would speak it, people would read it, people would hear it, people would proclaim it, and that the enemies of the mission would be kept at bay. The two, two things. He's saying, I want it to go out swiftly. I want it to go out in power. Lord, and I'm also, pray for me, he says, pray that the enemies would be kept at bay. We might simplify it and say this, that they prayed for success and safety. Success and safety. Success in God's eyes is the word of the Lord going forward. The, the Lord is glorified when the word goes forward, whether, whether people respond or not, that he's, he is still glorified. And, and both the success and the safety come from the Lord through prayer. Now, this is very, very interesting. When we were, uh, I guess it was a year ago, we did the book of Ephesians. I don't even remember, to be honest with you. Uh, we, remember, we talked about the words election and predestination. And um, 
some people think that means, well, God, you know, chooses people. I don't, I don't, I, I know he does and predestines people. I, I know he does. And so some people think because of that, that means we're idle. The word of the Lord could not disagree more. <laughs> that doesn't mean we're idle at all. Our prayers and evangelism are part of it. God uses means. I have a friend who thinks, says, well, you know, if God wants people to be saved, he will get the word of the Lord to them. To which I always say to him, how do you know it's not supposed to come to them through you? <laughs> you might be the guy that's supposed to bring the word of the Lord to them. And I would also say that, that our, our, our prayers and evangelism uh, are, again, a part of the word of the Lord going forward. And I would also say that those things that you care that the word of the Lord goes forward and that you care that people come to faith in Christ, you care that people other than yourself are matured in Christ is a sign to you that you are one of the true people of God. So once again, we come to these two twins and, and they don't fight each other. They, they walk hand in hand down the street and it, it is the twins of divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Now, I'm not saying they're 50-50. I'm just saying that they're both very, very important. Something the Bible writers, people, we wrestle with it all the time. People are like, I don't understand it. God's sovereign and we have to be responsible. You know, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. The Bible writers don't struggle with it at all. They just accept it. And Jesus didn't struggle with it at all. Let's take an example from Matthew. Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 and 28. Jesus said, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal to him. Now, to me, that's God's sovereignty. God is going to reveal who Jesus is to some people. Now, we could just stop reading there and go, well, that's it. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to, we don't have to say anything to anybody. We have no response hand in it. But the next verse, Jesus says this, come to me. What's that? That's man's responsibility. You know, sometimes people say, why do, you, why do you always tell people to come to Jesus? Why do you always tell people to trust Jesus? Because that's what Jesus and the apostles did. But, but, but it's God who calls people. God elects people. God predestines people. That's fine. That's fine. We're just helping gather the elect. We're just participating in what God is doing in the world. Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's many other examples in the, in the word of God. No, all to say that don't separate what God has joined together. We use it in terms of marriage, but God has not separated his sovereignty and our responsibility. We are to pray for the word of the Lord to go forth. We are to pray for people to be saved. Why? Well, let's, let's, get, let's just two simple reasons. Number one, that's God's heart. That's God's heart. We like that one? We like that one. Okay, number two, he told us to. How's that? Okay, okay. And so when you're not feeling number one, do number two. He, he told us that he wants us to pray for the word of the Lord to go forth and for people to be saved. There is no doubt that the Lord saves people, and that is the motivation for us to pray. Sometimes we're, people are like, what do I say? You know, what, what do I, what, somebody asked, I was on a panel this past weekend, people say, what do you say, to, you know, that people get saved? I go, well, who saves people? The Holy Spirit. So, we, you know, you, you, you speak the word of the Lord, but you pray that, that, that people would be saved. And like the Apostle Paul, 
it, it, it is the follower of Jesus that is firm in their heart that God saves that will pray for people to have a response to the gospel. Let me, let me, I don't want to say that too quickly. It's actually people who believe that God saves that are the ones that pray that people would have a response to the gospel. So look at the wording here in in verse 1. He says that the word of the Lord may run swiftly. Interesting. This is a a picture of the gospel itself running a race. If, If you will, with the Lord returning, who knows when? We talked about that Sunday. It is a race. I mean, it is a race for us to get the word out there to people. Sometimes, you know, I often tell you, you know, some, some of us are dilly-dallying with some of the people we know. Get the flag up to the top of the pole. You know, it doesn't mean if, if you know, you're going to have a lot of exposure to them, but, but, and you don't beat them up with it, but you, you've, you've got to tell them about Jesus Christ and him crucified, risen from the dead for the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. I think actually some of us are probably at our best on an airplane because we know the time is short and we get it out. We don't really have, you know, we don't really don't have much, much, much time, so we, we, we do it. So, so it's the picture of, of the gospel running the race. What's the prize? Well, the prize is the souls of men and women, the victory uh, over the hearts of people and over the false beliefs of the culture and the false teaching that is in, rampant in so many of our church churches. So as followers of Jesus, we must pray for people who are not followers of Jesus. Why? Now, I'm going to get controversial here, so, you know, not too many emails. Because prayer somehow makes the gospel effective. Somehow it makes the gospel effective. Now, The goal ultimately is that, he says here, is that the word of the Lord be glorified. Some of your versions say that it would be honored. And how is it glorified? By where it goes and by those who receive it. Although, just going forth, Jesus is glorified. Every time we tell the story, we are bringing glory to Jesus Christ. Now, the verb tense here is is not a one-time deal. Not that we just pray one time that it would go forward swiftly. The verb tense is a continuous, that it would, we would continue praying for it. And I would say that's part of walking with the Lord, that you are uh, mindful of praying that the word of the Lord would go forward, that, that, that people would become followers of Jesus Christ, that those friends that you have that are followers of Jesus Christ would become stronger, that you would become stronger, that your church would become stronger, that the churches in the community and the United States would become uh, stronger. And, and so we are to continue really strenuously praying for this. Let me, let me give you an old illustration that I, that I love. I, I wish I had made it up, but I didn't. Let's just say you have the opportunity to go to uh, the track and field uh, at the Olympics, and uh, maybe it's the 1,500 meter, the metric mile is, is on. And, and there's some guy from the United States or some woman from the United States, and they are in the race. And, of course, if you're a good American, you root for your own country. If not, we'll talk about church discipline in a minute. But so you're, you're, you're a good American, and, and you root for your own country. So 
They're coming around the home stretch. They're about 200 meters, since we're using metric, 200 y- 220 yards, let's say, 200 meters from the finish. And they start to pull away from the pack. And they're pulling away so much, you're thinking to yourself, unless they fall or pull a hamstring or twist their ankle, they're going to win. Do you go, do you stop cheering or do you cheer more? You cheer more. And that's exactly what God wants from us. The more the gospel is going forward, the more people are truly being saved. Evidences of grace are seen in people. True conversions are happening. He wants us to cheer louder. He wants us to pray more. And so the gospel is affecting the souls of men and women. We don't pray less. We pray more. Because we want the gospel to run swiftly so it's outrunning the competition, if you will. Yet some, the apostle says, uh, unreasonable and wicked men are, are getting in their way. And he says, for not all have faith. So, so the big thing is, who could these guys be? Who, who, who could these guys be? Well, some people think it's the, it's the Jews in Corinth. Could be. Some people think it's the false teachers that have come into the churches. That certainly could be. Some people think it's the unbelieving people that are in the churches that are, that are bringing the, the worldliness and the culture, if you will, uh, in, into the church and, and you know, getting people all out of, you know, out of whack. Now, it's interesting, this word wicked, you know what it means? It actually means out of place. So to me, it seems like like he's talking about when he says unreasonable and out of place men for not all have faith, it's probably an inside job. It's probably people inside the church who have not truly believed, yet they're causing trouble inside the churches. Well, how do people cause trouble in the churches? Well, to us, we mainly think of people kind of being just uh, divisive, but often in the word of God, it, it goes beyond that. Uh, just not just troublemakers, people as false teaching. But it also, as we're going to see in a bit, can be an ungodly lifestyle. Uh, what we see a lot in, in the church, in, certainly in this day and age, is particularly with people who are with a church when it's very, very small, they're constantly saying that they want people to get saved. And then when people get saved and come, they're mad that everybody doesn't have time for them like they used to. And you're like, but this is what we prayed for. You know, this is God, God is blessing. The word of the Lord is running swiftly. And so somehow uh, they, 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 they don't really like that uh, because they know, I guess, intrinsically that that means that you're going to have to step up. You know, I mean, people around here, you know, they've been a believer for like three or four years and they go like, well, I'm a new believer. I'm like, stop that silliness. It's like guys who are like 26 are like, well, you know, as a young man, I'm like, you're not a young man. Stop that silliness, <laughs> right? And, and so we, we have to step up as the word of the Lord moves swiftly, and, and we have to share the things that God has uh, made clear in his word to other people. Uh, quite possibly, the Apostle Paul is saying um, some of these people don't care for the lost for the simple reason that they are lost. They've sat in church a long time. 
but they still have not really been converted. They still haven't put their trust in Christ. They haven't experienced the, the new birth. And so instead of being people of the word, people of the kingdom, people being of the glory of God, they want to be people that just spread their own opinions. And, you know, it's very sad, and, and some of you have come from churches where you see that, or maybe those of you who don't come here uh, on Sunday, where are you anyway? I don't know. Uh, but those of you who don't come here on Sunday, maybe, maybe you have uh, seen this, that, that in your church, non-Christians or pseudo-Christians, um, those heavily influenced by false teachers, somehow weasel their way into important positions in the church. And that is really bad. That is really bad. We were talking with a guy about it recently, and uh, this past weekend, a friend of mine, and and he goes, you know, I I don't know um, if I should leave or if I should stay and steer the ship. And one of my pastor friends wisely said to him, you'll never steer the ship if you don't have a hold of the wheel. (laughs) And so it's something that we all merely must be uh, aware of. Uh, things are tough enough as they are right now. People seem very much less excited about the things of the Lord. And they seem to be what we read about at the end of chapter 2, excited about every good word and work. And we've said this many times before, we live in an age of distraction. Uh, false teachers are abounding uh, on, on the television. They, they don't really, they pretty much, they're pretty much out of radio they, they like this. They like this people to see their faces, I guess. And, uh, well, as you know, most of them are in, in the middle of the night. Uh, something about tired people, I guess, makes you want to send money. I'll do anything, God. Just give me some sleep. But, but uh, lack of time of, of God's people in the word of God, lack of prayer, sin in our lives are all taking God's people out of the game. They were in Thessalonica. They were in Corinth. They are across the Roman Empire. They are in our world. And the Apostle Paul simply says this, pray. Pray. You've got to keep praying. Now, the command to pray, and this is where I'll probably get a lot of you confused. The command to pray confuses many of us because we're confused about prayer. Let me give you the two big extremes that a lot of people seem to have on prayer. One is people think it's useless. It's useless. And the other people think that we pray to change God's mind. We pray to change God's mind. Now, uh, here's a shocker for some of you. Uh, I don't believe that either extreme is true, although an increasingly popular teaching these days is that you can change God's mind when you pray. Now, I'm just going to speak about myself for a moment. You people are much more godlier than I am, much more godly than me. Don't get all big head. That's not saying much. And, and how do I know? Because you come to Bible studies on Wednesday night. I come because it's my job. Um, the idea, the idea, the, the, I'm being legit here. I am not joking around here. The idea that God needs or would take my counsel terrifies me. <laughs> I mean, it absolutely terrifies me. Like, oh, God, I got a few ideas for you. I mean, that, that just absolutely terrifies me. My heart is so sinful and my mind is so limited by what's right in front of me all the time that I do not want God taking my advice. I, I just don't want it all. Um, and, and so I would say this. I, I spent the day with my grandson yesterday 
and he's 16 months old, and you know, they have to touch everything, they have to grab everything. And I would say that God taking my advice is about the same as me letting him play with the oven. That's about as safe as that. Maybe it's even safer to let my grandson play with the oven. Because I, I, listen, God doesn't need my advice, thank God. He doesn't take it because that's scary. Now, what, what do I think? God uses prayer to accomplish his plans, not mine. Do we have that? God uses prayer to accomplish his prayers, not mine. And one of the ways, one of the means, one of the things that God uses to bring people to faith is through our prayers. Now, that's not always clear how he does that. But he didn't tell us, I want you to be clear on everything. What did he say? I want you to pray. I want you to pray. I would even say that God will intervene in what we pray for when what we pray for and God's will match up. That's the home run. That's how it works. Uh, If we are in tune with him and his ways and his will through the word of God. So I know we're still only on verse 1 and 2, but I warned you ahead of time. Uh, so we pray that for the word of the Lord to spread rapidly, just, he says here, just as it is or just as it was with you. So we pray the word of the Lord not only goes forward in power, we not only pray that the gospel is kept central, but we also pray, this is very, very important, we also pray that people are receptive that people are receptive. We tend to use the language of God opened their eyes, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But we want to pray that people are receptive. And when we pray that way, we are, we are expressing our dependence that the Holy Spirit prepares the way for people to believe. And I would also say that, that as we pray those things, God challenges the true people of God. And, and, and what do I mean by that? Well, it's very interesting. We think just because we come to church that, that we're going to receive from God, but maybe we don't. You should see some of your faces sometimes. You should see some of my faces when I'm like, oh, I don't want to say this, God. And it's like, you know, some of you are older. Remember Foghorn, Leghorn? You know, you're... A, you're a preacher, boy. I just say it, <laughs> right? And so, and so, and so, and so, it's an old, uh, you know, Looney Tunes. I'm, I'm Looney Tunes. It's an old Looney Tunes character. And the young people are like, "What is he talking about?" Google it. Google's your friend sometimes. And so, um, and, and so, we're 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 praying that that people would be receptive, but it also challenges us because why? Because some cities that the Apostle Paul went to. People received the word of the Lord, and in other cities, they didn't. In some cities, the churches were strong, and in some churches, in some cities, the churches were weak. So I think what he's telling us, part of what he's telling the Thessalonians is that their response to the word of the Lord matters. Have you ever thought about that, loved ones? that your response to the word of the Lord actually matters to the people who visit our church. Actually matters to the people in your family that you work with, that are in your neighborhood, the people that you come in contact with. 
You see, here's, a, here's one thing that I've learned from my years of being a follower of Jesus, that a, that a church can have godly leadership. I mean, really godly leadership. A church can have great gospel preaching, yet often the gospel struggles to take root. Why is that? I really believe that, that if the people aren't receptive, if the people in the church aren't receptive to the word of the Lord, and if the people aren't on fire for God, the gospel and godliness among the people will not catch fire in an individual church. It just won't. Plenty of, plenty of church. It's easy to have a church with a lot of people. Just tell them what they want to hear. Don't talk about sin. Forget that cross stuff. Forget that repentance stuff. A lot of people will call. I just want to be encouraged. I just want to hear nice stuff. I think the fact that Jesus paid the price for your sins, and if you repent, you're going to heaven. There's nothing more encouraging on God's green earth to me. But, but a lot of people don't want to hear that. So does all of this negate God's sovereignty? No. But, but there's also a point in time where all of us must be a fruit-bearing part of the mission. We have to show the fruit of godliness. We have to show the fruit of the word of God in our own lives. Talking to a, a, a pastor this past weekend, and uh, we were talking about uh, the radio ministry. And, and he's been in it a lot longer than I have. And, and so uh, he told me something very, very interesting. And it's a challenge to, to all of us. He has a very, very large radio station. Our show is on that radio station. So he was ribbing me about our, my teaching, not you people. He's like, oh, you poor people. But, um, but I wouldn't be on if he thought he was bad. So anyway, but, but he made a very interesting point to me. He said this to me. He said, Jim, you're a, you're, you're a very, um, you, you can be very exciting. You can be very, you motivate people. You, you're, you're passionate. Uh, you're very direct and forthright, but there's a pastoral side to you that's very loving. And I was like, oh, do say more, do say more. Uh, and then he went, but, and I was like, oh, no, here we go. But he said this, if people hear you on the radio or they hear you on the Internet or the app or wherever they hear you, they might visit your church. But if the rest of the church does not match you, they will leave. Isn't that interesting? So you're all jacked up at the end. Remember this past Sunday? Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. People, are, people have to, at the end of the message, uh, singing like that. People are like, I get them out of here. One guy's excited, the rest of the people aren't. Isn't that interesting, though, that he would say that? I've been thinking about that. My head's spinning. Now your head's spinning. Verse 3, finally, you knew we'd get there. But the Lord is faithful. I need it. Again, I said it this Sunday. I've got I to start preaching at a different kind of church. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And when we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we suggest... No, that's not what it says. Oh, okay, we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Now people are like, I love the love of God, but the patience, I don't know about that. 
So the Apostle Paul reminds the Thessalonians, as, as we've seen, they're in the midst of persecution and opposition, that the Lord is faithful. Now, this statement really packs a punch when you compare it to verse 2. In verse 2, he said, for not all have faith. In verse 3, he says, but, if you're discouraged about that, next words, but the Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful to his people. The Lord is faithful to his plan. He is faithful to his promises. And his word is backed by his faithfulness. Now, the Lord's faithfulness is something that is written about over and over and over again in the word of God. Any idea why? Because it's something we're prone to forget, correct? So when God keeps repeating himself over and over again, it's not that he's just like, well, Holy Spirit, you know, I got nothing else to say, so why don't you just throw in I'm faithful? No, it's because we tend to forget these things. And there's a lot of uh, examples I can use for this. But to me, the greatest one is from Lamentations chapter 3. If you're taking notes, Lamentations 3.23. Jeremiah is sitting there and he is watching Jerusalem being burned. And the temple is being destroyed. And he writes these words, great is your faithfulness. I don't know, there's a, there's a better place to think of that. Great is your faithfulness. Here the Apostle Paul is telling the Thessalonians that the Lord will establish you. Some versions say strengthen you and he will guard you one. He will guard you from who? From the evil one and the people that we saw in verse 2 who are in the church, but they're out of place in the church. Perhaps there is more here, and, and this is very encouraging, that those who God calls, God keeps and God helps persevere. And we're going to talk about that Sunday, how God helps us to persevere when things get really, really bad. Things get really, really tough. And that perseverance is an evidence of grace and an evidence to you that you are one of God's children. Now, in, in Thessalonica, in the Roman Empire, it was no different than it is here in the United States. The enemy has the same weapons. He just, just packages them a little bit differently. Lies, deceptions, false teaching, doubt. First uh, Thessalonians, we saw sexual immorality. And the encouraging part here is, as Paul tells us, that God knows how to protect us from these things and how to keep us faithful to him. Uh, because of that, verse 5 here, he says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. The apostle Paul has confidence in their and by extension, our ability to obey the word of the Lord, with God's help, of course, both now and in the future. Why? Why can we obey the word of the Lord? Well, let's, real, let's, let's just make it as simple as we can. Because God is faithful, we can be faithful. If he says God's going to help us, if the, the scripture constantly teaches us that God will help us, give us the grace to be faithful, Give us the grace to obey. God's commands come with God's empowering. When God says something to you, commands you to do something, or tells you to do something, you're going to bet it comes with the power to do it. And so, and so that's, what was, that was, that's what we see here. And so he's saying the Lord will help you. The Lord will be faithful so you can be faithful. And as we develop our relationship with Jesus, that will 
now not always in the in the positive direction we want it to be, but generally that will reduce our sinfulness. So again, God's sovereignty, flip the coin over, man's responsibility. God, he says, God is faithful to keep you, and we are confident, okay, that you can keep his commandments. Now, some people say, that's all still very confusing to me. Well, I'm going to tell you something I think that's even more confusing, and it certainly was for me before I was a Christian, um, that I found more confusing than this, the confusing inconsistency of hearing from people who said they were followers of Jesus Christ who were blatantly disregarding the commands of the Word of God and with my limited knowledge of it. That was more confusing to me than anything. You know, people saying that, you got to repent, you got to repent, you know, and, and then I see how they, how they live their lives and, 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 and how they just, no generosity, no love, uh, just completely living a sinful lifestyle and going around, you know, with the, with the big telephone pole sticking out of their own, sticking out of their eye, trying to pick a little splinter out of somebody else's eye. That was more confusing to me. And because of that, the Apostle Paul prays in verse 5 that people's hearts would be directed to the love of God. And when your heart is directed to the love of God, it won't happen if you're not reading your Bible. It won't, because that's the refueling station, if you will. And if you're not spending time at the foot of the cross seeing Jesus Christ dying in your place for your sins, but when your hearts are directed, my hearts are directed to the love of God, then we will be motivated by grace to obey his commands. And that demonstrates a love for God. It demonstrates a love for the people of God. And it, lo- and a ge- it also demonstrates a love for people in general. And this is what we all have to remember. God loves people and calls people through us. Very important. You know, I hear lots of stories of people's salvations, and you know I'm always grateful to I have a special place in my heart to the many people that became Christians at our church. But yet, when you really hear most people's story, it comes down to one or two people in their life that had an influence on them for the gospel. They just came to church, and that was sort of like, okay, I guess I'm in, right? I'm, you know, you know, you're realizing after a certain amount of time you're part of God's people. But most people can say that, that, that one or two people, just seemingly out of the blue or somebody they knew and, and something about them, just influenced them for the gospel. And so he prays also for their patience. Now, that's something that most Americans are not too good at, are we? That they would wait upon the Lord. But remember, we said waiting upon the Lord is not being idle. Waiting upon the Lord is what we do while we're waiting for him to move. So what are we doing? We'll say, okay, we're praying for revival. So what do we do? We're still sharing the word of the Lord with everybody we can. We're still praying for, 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 for one another that, 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 that we would, in the house of the Lord would be the re- great representatives, the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, pleading with people, 2 Corinthians 5, to, for, with people to be reconciled to God. And so we're, when we're waiting, we're not, we're, not just, we're not just standing around doing nothing. We are waiting upon the Lord, 
And as we wait, we pray for ourselves and others to stay faithful in the process. But what's part of our problem? How many of you are impatient? Any of you impatient? Definitely my biggest problem. I know it is. It's my biggest problem is my impatience. And I thank God for his supernatural love and patience and his perseverance that enable and empower us to press on. And and I also thank God that he is willing to help us in our complacency. Because it's very easy to become complacent, isn't it? It's very easy to think, well, you know what the other guy gets you to think, you know, you're not making much of a difference in the world. You know what, if you were gone, it really wouldn't matter. But I can tell you, remember I said, most of us have, have one person who really influenced us initially for the gospel. I bet you, I know, there's one person out there waiting for each and every one of us in this room. I don't know who that person is, but they are out there. And we pray that, that we'll actually, people might say, well, I pr- I'm praying God would show me the one. I just say, tell as many as you can and let God show you then. <laughs> He'll show you. He'll make it obvious to you. And, and remember that how we live on our way to heaven matters. So I think it's fair to say that, that verse 1 to 5 is a prayer that the people of God would press on hard in the gospel to reach people with the gospel And so let me ask you a question. Are you ready for that? If not, if you don't answer yes, let a fuller appreciation and experience of the love of God and Jesus' perseverance to the cross for you motivate you to press on hard into Christ and the gospel. So now we come to the tough stuff for some of the people, not all the people, that he covers in verse 6 through 10. Uh, he begins to talk about people who are lazy, lazy. And lazy Christian, that's, that's, that's two words that just don't go together. You know, it's like jumbo shrimp. You know, they, just, they, 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 they don't go together. Should we go through them all? Microsoft works. Okay, so, so, but it, shouldn't, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be at all. And so verse 6, he says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means he commands us and he invokes the Lord's name. There's no option here. This is not like there is zero wiggle room. Well, what do you mean by this? No wiggle room. We command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly. Hmm, Interesting. Another version says walking in idleness. Another version says that is idle. Another version says that walks irresponsibly and not according to the tradition. Remember, we covered that last week, not just traditions in general, apostolic tradition or teaching which he received from us. Now, we have to, again, come to the, we come to the realization, we've said this many times before, it's going to always bear repeating that the Apostle Paul was a task theologian. So what did he do? He was made aware of problems that existed in churches, and he writes at approaching the task of fixing it. A lot of times we have to figure out what's going on. This is not a particularly easy one because we don't know what's going on, so we have to look for some general principles. First thing I notice is this is so completely odd, what he says. Like, I, 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 I read this, and I'm like, and I've read, I've read through the Bible so many times. I've read this letter so many times. But when you go very slow, I'm like, man, this is really weird what he just said. 
You see, what do we do? We instruct people where they're sinning, correct? That's what we do. That's what we do. That's not what he does. He instructs the church how to deal with certain people. That is his instruction. He's saying, he's not saying to the guy who's doing this or the people that are doing this. He says, this is how you deal with certain people instead of just instructing the actual people. Now, some think that this could be talking about an issue or various issues or processes of what we call church discipline that is taking place because of uh, uh, unbiblical beliefs or behavior that's going on in the church. Now, we talked about this in Matthew chapter 18 when we were there. Church discipline is not a witch hunt. We're not running around the church looking for people that are sinning. That's not, that's not what we're doing. Oh, you, you didn't bust your table in the cafe. Some of you are going, oh, we're supposed to do that? I thought that's what the servants are supposed to do. Bust your own table. All right, so, so some of you are going, some of you are going like, well, am I supposed to go around looking for problems? No, it's not a witch hunt. It is, we saw in Matthew 18, it is an orderly and honorable way to deal with patterns of sin. And so here he says, in order to love Christ... In order to love the church, in order to love the people or the person that is involved, we must deal with the sin. And we said in Matthew 18, it is if you go through the process of talking with the person, bringing someone with you, talking to the church, of the different things that you can, we can do about that. But what we're talking about here is people who are unrepentant in their sin. It's not the people who are struggling with sin. Sometimes people have what we call a besetting sin. They hate it. And, you know, some guy comes to my office and he's just like, you know, you've got to pour him into the seat. He's just so upset about his sin. I, 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 what am I going to do? Take out a baseball bat and beat him? But a guy comes in and goes, um, you know, I, I, listen, not you or any Bible or anybody going to tell me how to live my life. Well, that's a different story. So might I take out a baseball bat and beat him? No, it depends upon who he is. I might. You never know. (laughs) So in Matthew, we have been seeing that how false teaching hurts the church. Paul tells us something also that that, that hurts the church. Laziness. Laziness hurts the church. Carelessness uh, hurts the church. Unrepentant sin People who think they can sin and they don't really care about it at all, that hurts the church. Now, again, we're not 100% of what's going on. Some Bible scholars probably most think that people were quitting their jobs and they weren't serving the Lord because they said, oh, we read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the second half, the rapture's coming. So they're standing outside the church building looking up. Where is he? Come on, Jesus. Right? Jesus, come now. Right? So, so they're, 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 they're just standing there looking up, and the rest of the people are, are scurrying around, doing the work, helping support them. And so, and so that could be it. Other Bible scholars think that some people just realize that, you know, you can go to a church and be really, really lazy, and some well-meaning and really good-natured followers of Jesus are more than willing to help you out. Such people, going back to verse 2, are out of place. They're hindering the spread of the gospel. They're slowing things down. 
and they are disobeying the command in Genesis 3 that we are to work. We are to work. They seem to forget, as we see in the Word of God, that one thing the Holy Spirit uses to draw people to Jesus is the character of Jesus' followers. These people seem to have forgotten that. So let's take it into the workplace. Some of you go to the workplace. It is important that you are diligent. It is important that you do your work as fast as you can to the best of your ability. It is important that you are productive. Your, your, your employer is paying you to do work, not to tell the guy in the next cubicle about Jesus. And you might think, oh, but he wants to hear it. Everybody else around you is going, oh, yeah, and there he goes at 5 o'clock to his Bible study. That is, that is not being a good testimony. It is important that you take less breaks. These are the things that matter to your coworkers. And God calls us to be the ones who set the example. The Apostle Paul says people who are not like that, he says, withdraw from them. Now, what, what, what does that mean? Well, again, we don't know the situations. Let's just say maybe it just means stay away from them. Don't let them influence you. And certainly, don't you help them to sin. Don't you help them continue to perpetuate what they're doing already. Verse 7. For you yourselves know. Now, how would they know? Because he taught them when he was in Thessalonica. How you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. Some of your versions say we were not idle among you. Other versions say we were not irresponsible among you. Verse 8, nor did we eat anyone's bagels. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge. Another version says without paying for it. We, we contributed. We contributed. Now, does that mean that if somebody says to you, hey, uh, you know, I was at Subway and I was thinking of you and I bought you a sub. Happened to me the other day. And... Uh, and it was actually Pastor Neil. And I said, oh, thanks. I get a sub and you get a vacation. That's fair. <laughs> so, so, so anyway, so does that mean I go, have to go to him? I can't take that. It's in the Bible. I can't take that. No, I can't eat anyone's bread free of charge. No, I took that sandwich and I enjoyed that to the glory of God. <laughs> so nor did we eat anyone's bread. Okay but worked with labor and toil. Another version says we struggled night and day that we not, might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority. And, and, and another version says not that we have the right to support, which he did. And, and we've studied this before in the Apostle Paul. A lot of times he planted churches, and when he went into a city, he worked uh, basically, he did double duty. He worked a job. He was a tent maker. He had a tent making business. He fixed tents, and, and, and he also preached the gospel. But he also had churches that he had founded in the past that sent money to him. But he didn't ask the people where he went 
for money. If he'd been there in the past and the church was going and flourishing, he, he would ask them. And interesting, the Thessalonians were the poorest of churches. We saw in 2 Corinthians, and they were the most generous. And the Corinthians were the richest of the churches, and they were the most stingy. So he said, we could have asked you for the money. We had the authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, and the idea, I think, is if anyone wills not to work, neither shall he eat. So here the apostle tells the idle and lazy ones simply this. You did not learn this by watching me. You did not learn this by watching, by watching Silas and by watching Timothy. You didn't see any entitlement on my part. You knew who I was. You knew my authority. I didn't come in and, and play the apostle card. I didn't come in and play the pastor card. You saw me. I worked. That's what I did. I wasn't lazy. And sadly, people often expect certain conditions and certain perks before they will serve the Lord. They want to know what, it, what, it, what the conditions are going to be like or so, this. Now, I understand you, you want to know what time should I show up and when I'm on, how do I find out when I'm on. and I get all that stuff. But a lot of people want the certain conditions to be right in order to serve the Lord. And all I will say is this. Thank God that Jesus Christ did not expect the conditions to be right at the cross before he went there. Thank God. And I thank God that is something he reminds me of constantly. Constantly. So these guys work double shifts as pastors and jobs to pay the bills. Perhaps, rather than just accept that, maybe we should ask ourselves why. It's good reason sometimes when you read the Bible to ask yourselves why. Now, sometimes it's because of stingy Christians. But we know this was a generous church. My only conclusion that I can draw is that they were more concerned for the gospel and the people than they were for themselves. And that shows that they were truly men of character, that they were truly men of integrity. It seems to me that they saw their ministry as a gift of love to the kingdom of God and a gift of love to the people of God, no matter whether they were appreciated or not. They, they, they didn't, they, you watch the Apostle Paul and people are always talking bad about him. Same thing about Jesus. They talked about it. They killed him. They, they didn't need to be appreciated. Some people are like, well, I need to be appreciated. Well, that, that's just not the way it is in the kingdom. You'll be appreciated in the next life. And, and God, is not, God is going to remember your, your, your service. We have that verse hang all over, Hebrews 6.10, all over the church, that God's not going to forget your labor of love for his people. He's not going to forget that. But the conditions are just not always going to be what we want them to be. You know, for the Thessalonians, they had to realize that he's telling them, you're going to be accountable for the example that you saw. And what did they see? They saw an example of long, inconvenient, often thankless serving. That's what they saw. And the people who want everything to be right, 
That's just not realistic. How important is this? Look at, look at verse 10. It has to do with laziness. Look at that again. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work or wills not to work, neither shall he eat. Now, let's, let's just put an asterisk on this for a second. Of course, if there, you have a physical limitation, that's not what he's talking about. I would, I, would, I would counsel you, if you have a physical limitation, you are to be heavily engaged in the work of prayer. Heavily engaged. That is your ministry. Obviously, he's not talking about where there is no work. Sometimes there's places where there is no work. There's no work to, to, to earn a living. That's not what he's talking about. He, what he's talking about here is he's saying these guys can work, they could work, but they won't work. And the Apostle Paul says that's a sin. And that sin needs to be fixed. <laughs> but you could just picture some of them. Oh, but the Lord is coming back. The Lord is coming back. Yes, but not yet. <laughs> and until he comes back, until that moment, until you hear that trumpet, okay, we are commanded to work. Verse 11, he says, For we hear, so reports are coming back to him, from who? Well, we know Timothy came back. We, other people probably coming back, people he trusts, people you know have integrity. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. Some versions say in idleness, in irresponsibility, in disruptive matter, not working at all, but are busybodies. Oh, my goodness. Uh, another version says they're not working at all, but they're interfering with the work of others. So what are they doing? They're just making life harder for everyone. They're making ministry harder. Verse 12, now those who are such, we command and exhort you through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Another one says that they earn their own bread. So he's saying, listen, you're not supposed to be like these guys. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to command you, we exhort you, that you work in quietness and earn your own living. So the reports are coming in that some of the busybodies are not working to earn a living. They're working at being busybodies. So they're not working to, to contribute to society. They're not working to contribute to the church. They're not working to contribute to the ministry. They, they just have the, the ministry of being a busybody. <laughs> Remember when we first started the church, this lady come up, came up to me. She only came once. Uh, she, she came up to me, and she had a really bad attitude. Re I mean, it was really bad. And I was just like, oh, Lord, I'm going to try and love this woman. And then she said to me, I have the gift of discernment. <laughs> and then I sinned. <laughs> and I said, oh, you're critical. <laughs> and she left. <laughs> So, so, oh, where were we? <laughs> so the command is simple. Quietly go out and get a job so you can support yourself instead of being a burden. Something else here. When people are busybodies, when people are gossips, when people are lazy, it slows everybody and everything in the church down. So, those who are not busy must find something to do, not for a short season, but as a way of life. 
verse 13. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. The old King James puts it this way, do not be weary in well-doing. Now, some people really need help. And so what is he saying? Listen with those people. Keep at it. Keep helping. And also, I think he's saying, don't let the lazy people discourage you from obeying the word of the Lord. One of the worst things you can do, friends, is get your eyes, if you're serving the Lord, is getting your eyes on the people who are not doing it. That, that, that is not a good thing to do. Perhaps he's also saying here, don't weary yourselves in trying to help the lazy and don't weary yourselves in trying to help the busybodies become productive. That's just for some times, that may be just a waste of time. Sadly, it only takes a few people to bring a lot of others down and some people never weary in wearying others. Do you know anybody like that? They never weary in wearying others. And I can tell you from a pastor's perspective, one of the saddest things is this. It's often the most faithful people that are the most easily discouraged, and then they quit. Let me tell you what some people say, and this is wrong, friends. This is wrong. I'm not going to serve anymore to give the others opportunity to step up and serve. Man, you may think that sounds good in your head and coming out of your mouth, but that sounds like pure stupidity. (laughs) Really. I'm not going to serve God to make room for other people to serve God. There is so much room for people to serve the Lord, and we've designed our church So one of the advantages of having a pastor who has a business background to constantly make room for people who want to serve the Lord within their gift set. And sometimes some people have to work a little bit to find what their their gift set is. But to say that you're going to step aside to give other people opportunity, why don't you just say, I don't want to do it anymore? Why don't you just be honest? Stop. You're just deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. And when the most faithful people in a church get discouraged and quit, the church is in trouble. The church is in trouble. So if you're serving the Lord, get your eyes eyes onto some good examples and get your eyes off of the people who are doing nothing. We don't have to serve. We get to serve. This is an honor and this is a privilege. I remember that every time I come up here. By, by the way, if you're here today, and, and I said before the uh, message, I didn't have uh, as much time to prepare for tonight as I normally do. This is unprepared. <laughs> okay? So that doesn't mean I did nothing. If I did nothing, I'd have sang. You'd have all left. <laughs> but, 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 but remember, we, we get to serve. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't have to do it. And, and if you're looking at the people who are doing nothing, get your eyes off them. Pray for them that they would realize the joy of serving God and the privilege for serving God, even when it's tough, even when it's hard, even when it's not gratifying, even when it feels like you're not making a difference. And don't, and don't quit. And don't quit. And the people who, are, who aren't doing anything, pray for them. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to pray for them. 
Verse 14, and if anyone does not obey the word, our word in this epistle, this letter, note that, note that person and do not keep company with them. More interesting stuff. Again, we don't fully know what was going on. Uh, another version says have nothing to do with them. Another says don't associate with them, that he may be ashamed. Now you're like, oh, we're supposed to be shaming people? Remember, words change meaning over time. Do you remember that? Like my wife, Pam, uh, does not do very well in hot weather. So if you said to me when we first got married almost 30 years ago, if you said, uh, you know, we're outside and it's 95 degrees out and Pam's hot, I would just say, well, get her a cool drink, get her in the shave, and maybe, maybe some air conditioning, she'll be fine. Now if you walk up to me and tell me she's hot, I'll punch you in the nose. Okay, so, so, so words change meaning over time. We're not trying to shame them the way we talk about shaming. All right? We're, we're talking about we're trying to get them to change their mind. As, as we have less to do with them, if we're like, brother, I'd love to talk to you, man, but I'm serving the Lord. I got stuff I got to do. Or, I, sister, sorry, you know, I got, you know, there's people coming. We got, we got stuff we got to do. We're, we're expecting God to show up. We're expecting the word of the Lord to go forward. We're, expect, we're expecting God's people to be empowered by the word of God. We're expecting worship. We're expecting unconverted people to become committed followers of Jesus Christ. We got a lot to do, man. I, I got no time to walk out. So maybe they will change their mind and they will want to be part of it. But he says this, look at verse 15, you think I'm supposed to just avoid them. He says, look at verse 15, he says, yet do not count them as an enemy, but admonish him or warn him as a brother. So verse 14 shows us how serious God takes the church. Sin must be dealt with in order to guard the purity and the integrity of the church. If sin is not dealt with, think about this for a second. You're smart people. Think about this for a second. If sin is not dealt with in our own lives, if sin is not, and again, it's unrepentant, repetitive, I don't care, sin is not, is not dealt with in our lives or in the life of the church, what's the difference between the church and the world? None. And the church loses its gospel witness. People who habitually and willfully disregard the word of the Lord are very bad for the health of the church, and so is inaction in not trying to address it. Now, to which some people, I know in this day and age, they're, they're driving in their car, or they're listening some right now, or, they're, or maybe you're sitting there right now and going, where's the grace? On every page of the Bible. That's where it is. It's on every page of the Bible where over and over we are told that God expects his people to obey and there's consequences for those who do not. I'm not saying that's how we get to heaven. But God expects his people to show the fruit. We always talk about motivated by grace. There must be evidence of grace. So we're to show that we are heaven bound. It's also very easy to miss that God knows that ungodliness will influence the rest of the church. And so that's why he says, you need to separate from that stuff. You need to get away from that stuff. Again, a lot of people say, Jesus said not to judge. You know, like I always tell you, most most well-known verse in, in the Bible, judge not lest you be judged. You always go, no, John 3.16 is, oh, yes, among the Christians, but not among the unbelievers. 
That, that's the only verse the unbelievers know, Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. But you have to keep reading. Jesus is talking about not using, doing, using a self-righteous judgment, not judging the way the bogus religious leaders judged. So, so he's not saying wash our hands of them. He says we may ask them to stay away. He used the word, the, the version here uses the word ashamed, but the idea for verse 15, though, is when he says admonish him or warn him as a brother, it's for the sake of restoration. It's always about restoration. And, and, and something else here that's probably going to be bad news for some of you. Notice he's not talking to the leaders of the church. He's talking to the whole congregation. He's talking to everybody. So we all have a part in the restoration of the unrepentant. We all know people that have left this church because they want to go do the, live in their sin. And, and people go, well, somebody should call them. You're right. Somebody should call them. So people come up to me, I was wondering if anybody's called so-and-so, and I go, I was wondering too. You know, we don't take attendance here on Sunday. It's very easy for me to miss people not coming for a while. Very easy. But if they're a friend of yours, if you love them, you call them. You check up on them. You say, can I have lunch with you? And, the, and, 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 and then they're like, no, no, I don't want to hear your religious stuff. You go, okay, I promise you, I promise you. If you ask me a question, I'll answer it. But if you promise me, I promise you, I just want to go out and be your friend. I just want to go out and be your friend. To admonish means to uh, set one's mind. It's actually where we get the idea of uh, biblical counseling from. Not Christian counseling. Biblical counseling is to set one's mind the right way. And this is serious stuff not to be ignored or abused. It requires wisdom. And that's possibly why the Apostle Paul is not totally specific and totally clear with us. So is this excommunication from the church? Um, I don't know, but I don't think so. Uh, I think it's perhaps putting limitations on the individual. Perhaps you just say, well, you can't serve for a while until you want to get this right. Or, or we're going to ask you not to participate in the Lord's table. Or maybe we're going to ask you not to participate in worship services, something, until your lifestyle issues change or you're willing to start to get some help with that, with that thing, with that lifestyle issue. Uh, excommunication treats someone as an unbeliever, which is due to their continued resistance to correction. And, and, and perhaps when he says to warn him as a brother is, is to say really in love. And, and if you can say it without crying, um, you, you might not be a true follower of Jesus because you should be, if you're going to, you might actually have to say to people, you know, you might not be a follower of Jesus. You might not be born again. The church I was at beforehand, there was a guy we had, I was a staff on the pastoral staff there, and we took a guy through the Matthew 18 process. I pleaded with that guy. I pleaded with him. And we had to ask him to leave the church. And so the next day, he storms into the number two guy in the church, Pastor Lloyd's right-hand man. He storms into him, complaining about me. 
And he said to the, pa the pastor said to him, was Jim mean to you? And the man said to him, he was in tears. He was begging me to change. He was begging me to go to rehab and get help and to stop the way I was living. So the assistant pastor said, did that make a difference to you? And he goes, you know what? It kept me up all last night. And the guy got on the bus and went to rehab. This is not something we take lightly. That's why the Apostle Paul says we plead with people. We plead with them. One more thought when he says here to view them as a brother, I think it might be an encouragement to all of us not to give up hope. To hope that in being ashamed, they might turn to Jesus instead of having some false assurance of their salvation. You know, a lot of people, I'm saved, I'm just not walking with the Lord. More gobbledygook. And by the way, apostolic authority is from Jesus Christ as recorded in the New Testament, not some rogue pastor saying to submit to, my, submit to the pastor or don't touch the Lord's anointed or some religious leader who's using, playing his trump card. That's baloney. So letter closes with more prayer. Verse 16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you this persecuted church peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hand, he's probably dictating it, and then at the end he picks it up and he, he begins to write with his own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. Remember we said there may be a false letter going around that it, that it was him who wrote it. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So after writing about persecution in chapter 1, judgment in chapter 2 and the return of the Lord, discipline in chapter 3, the apostle Paul prays for divine peace and the power to go on. He knows that grace and peace must come through God, come from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's taught them that they are saved by grace through faith that puts us in a relationship with, with, with Jesus to know peace. But to me, and, and really this, this, these last three verses are probably a whole sermon in themselves, the most encouraging words to me in verse 16 and 18 are this, the Lord be with you all. I think he even includes the rebellious, lazy ones because they'd have been sitting there listening to this lesson, this letter. You see, friends, the Lord Jesus is not going to abandon us. He's just not. The Lord be with you all. This reminds every believer in every biblical church that we are not alone and that we have all the resources for the mission until Christ's second coming. We live in a day when people are looking for new ways to find God. May true followers of Jesus remember, we already found him. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to look for new. We don't need to look for new ways. You know, you lose your car keys. You don't go. You don't go down to the locksmith. You don't go down to the dealer and ask for new keys. You look. You go look. Jesus says, "If you," the Lord says, "If you look for me, you'll find me, because I'm not far." So remember that in the storms of life, in the seasons of doubt, Jesus died on the cross. So if you turn to Him and put your trust in Him instead of yourselves, you'll have the forgiveness of sins, you'll have eternal life, and you will never, never 
as an individual, and we will never as a church ever be alone. Well, goodbye Thessalonica. Let's stand and pray.